My name is Johnny Blaze. I used to ride a motorcycle for a living. I did a bare ass 360 triple backflip in front of 22,000 people. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 230 and it is week four of Cage Palooza 2023. We watch all Nick Cage movies this month and joining me because he had not seen before Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance from the Botch Podcast. It is he who is Steve. Steve, how you doing? I'm well. Hello, hello. Um, what What a treat. I picked for myself. Uh, you definitely week. did. <laughs> so before we dive into the movie too much, do you have any history of knowledge of this movie um, going into watching it for the first time? So I knew it came out. I saw the mm-hmm. original Ghost Rider in theaters. Okay. Um, and I, I, I thought it was fine. I was less than impressed uh, with the villain. I think it was terribly miscast. Yeah. Oh, Wes um, Bentley as uh, Blackheart was awful. <laughs> yeah, he was. I, I was not ever scared or intimidated by him in the entire movie. Um, he was as threatening uh, as a musketeer. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I knew this came out. I had never seen it. And the the most knowledge I ever got from it was watching part of Red Letter Media's review of it, mm, okay. um, where they where they where they praised it quite a bit, actually. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, Hey, they're entitled to their opinions. Uh, I, I found quite a bit of, uh, quite a few things to enjoy in the movie actually, uh, to be completely mm-hmm. fair to it. Yeah. Full disclosure. Like there are definitely reasons that this is one of those so bad. It's good. Sit down and watch it with some friends type movies mm-hmm. because there are decisions made in this movie, in the, in the filmmaking process. Uh, I've talked about it a lot um, with Nick Cage. Like he he makes choices, and you never mm-hmm. get he never sleepwalks through a part. You know you don't you don't get a Nick Cage who's just kind of there to pick up a paycheck and that's it. Like yes, he takes projects, especially in this period that like 2006 to 2013 era where he was taking a lot of projects just to make money, but he still shows up and brings all of Nick Cage with him, mm-hmm. and. Um, this is definitely one of those. Cause I, I like you had seen the first movie and was like, eh, it's, it's okay, but it didn't, you know, didn't blow the doors off or anything like that. Didn't knock my socks off. And then I saw this several years after it came out and partly because I was like, well, the first movie wasn't that great and this one's reviewing worse. So I'm not going to go spend theater ticket money on spirit of vengeance. I'll wait. Right. Right. Um, and same thing. I find things that are enjoyable about it, but who the 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 misses on this are pretty good. Um, oh yeah, and it, it's a movie to me that is less than the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. um, which is I think its biggest failing. Like it has an outstanding cast all the way through of, of like actors that you've seen in things that should be good. Oh, absolutely. Um, Nick Cage, Nick Cage being one, but Idris Elba is in this. Idris Elba. Um, um, the Kieran, same year that he was in uh, Thor. 
Yeah, uh, two two different Marvel parts. Of course, this was released under the Marvel Knights, yeah, uh, label where where they were like, okay, we need to make a distinction between um, Marvel movies that are not part of the MCU. And the um, worst part about that is the Marvel Knights comic line was the more mature comic line, and so mm-hmm. they were they wanted to do that with the Marvel Knights films. And this was only, I think. I think they, to this point, have still only put out two films under the Marvel Knights, but this was the second one. The first one was Punisher Warzone. Okay. And Punisher Warzone went that route. I don't know if you've ever seen mm-hmm. that or not, but it went. I've, I've heard cold. of it. I've never watched it. It's it's actually like this. If you sort of can just get into the flow of it, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. It is way over the top R-rated. You know, it's dropping F-bombs. It's violent as all hell. The way, and honestly, a Punisher movie should be that way. Absolutely. The Jig, Jigsaw is the villain, and he's cartoonishly goofy, um, <laughs> and he's played way over the top. But I, I enjoy it. I like it better than the Thomas Jane Punisher, which I don't think okay. is terrible, but I think that this was a better version. Ray Stevenson, to me, was like perfect casting, too, as yeah. as Frank Castle. Um but the problem with this one was they released it under Marvel Knights, but Sony chickened out and didn't make this R-rated. And they really, really kind of should have. They went up because when it was initially announced that they were going to do a sequel and they bring in the directors, um, Neville Dean Taylor, who are, um, they were a, a, a pair, uh, Mark Neville Dean, Brian Taylor, they had done the Crank films prior to this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Voltage. <laughs> I, I and, can see a little influence in there then. Yeah. yeah. So they, they signed them. They're bringing back Nick Cage. And the idea was they were going to go darker and go R-rated with this. And then Sony decided, no, you know what? We're going to make it PG-13 anyway. We want the better ticket sales. And that hurts this, in my opinion, because I think there's, you can see the ideas that they wanted to toy with in the script. Because they also brought in uh, David Goyer to, to help co-write the script. Mm-hmm. And he had done, you know, the original Blade and all these darker um, R-rated things, and it just felt like they kind of neutered themselves early on, sticking to the PG-13 with this particular character in this world, right? And didn't do themselves any any favors uh, whatsoever. You mentioned Kieran Hines um, mm-hmm. playing Rourke, which, <laughs> okay, the first movie. You have Johnny Blaze make his deal with Mephistopheles, which right. is the Marvel character Mephisto. Marvel Mephisto, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, they named him Mephistopheles, and he's played by Peter Fonda. And then in this movie, they don't bring back Peter Fonda. Okay, because apparently he initially was interested in, in reprising the role. Then he read the script and just said no. So <laughs> I that's internet trivia. So take it with a grain of salt, but I want that to be true. I, the one I read was he read the first five pages of the script and said, no, which is, I think wow. my favorite, my favorite one. But so they bring in <laughs> Kieran Hines, Kieran Hines is great. And he, look, he goes for it. Oh yeah. But, but then they rename the character Rourke for reasons. And it's so weird because you have a different actor playing a character with a different name, but he's supposed to be the same character. And they never mentioned like, where did Rourke come from? Why is Rourke the name for the devil? And in the, in the animatics, which are present throughout the film, I think there are three, maybe four of them. (laughs) And they're, they're, they're interesting. Uh, Clearly there Mm -hmm. was, there were budgetary concerns there. um, And they couldn't do like a, you know, a spawn CGI 
underworld or anything like that so they they opted for the animatics uh but even in the animatics they refer to him as the devil so but mm-hmm. in none of the live action scenes is he ever referred to as as the devil or mephisto or anything they just call him rourke and it's like why i i don't know and it's funny because cage is the first one to refer to him as rourke mm-hmm. and he does it like we're supposed to know who that is and honestly i understand like I'm able to follow it, but and I know comics can get confusing for people, but I would not be surprised if people were confused. Like, wait, is this even who's he dealing with now? Because he, there's, they don't they don't set you up for it at all. They're just like, yeah, he's looking for him. Oh, Rourke. It's like, wait, who's Rourke? Mm-hmm. What happened to the devil? Isn't that who you're yeah. dealing with? I don't, I don't get it. So it's just <laughs> kind of one of those. It's so silly. Um, But this was, you know, they didn't. It's kind of a David Goyer. And I know there were other. Uh, writers for this um, Scott Gimple and Seth Hoffman but it's sort of a thing where Goyer I've noticed especially will take names of characters from comics and adapt them into his scripts with the character being in name only so mm-hmm. like um, in this Ray Kerrigan the the Kerrigan character played by Johnny Whitworth who becomes yeah um, Blackout, Blackout I think was the yeah mm-hmm. Nothing Blackout is a completely different character. In com- <laughs> he's like a vampire. He's a whole different deal. They were just like, we like the name Blackout, and we'll give him white skin, and that'll be fine. No one will care. We'll no base him on the is. look. Um, we yeah. don't need to use any of that comic lore that made him popular or anything. No, none of that. <laughs> but, you know, it's the same film series that cast Wes Bentley as Blackheart. and <laughs> Right, fair enough. <laughs> nothing, nothing against Wes Bentley. He's fine as an actor he is not in any way intimidating i think, I think he was just miscast i think he's just miscast. yeah That's he just all it is. it's just the wrong character for him to play and for him and and the mm-hmm. way like it just didn't work but like yeah i i have a problem i don't need my comic book adaptations or any adaptations to strictly follow the the source material but yeah. i'd at least like some reverence to the source material and if you're going to adapt a character if you're not going to adapt black uh blackout as a as the character, then name your guy something else. Do because Moreau, Idris Elba's character, made made just for this movie, mm-hmm. and he's yeah, fine. completely made up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he, I mean, yeah, he's perfectly acceptable and interesting little character. I'd I'd like to have seen him fleshed out a little bit more. Um, yeah, but yeah, like his motivations and his history a little bit more. But yeah, perfectly serviceable for what for his purpose in the story. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I want to know his backstory. How did he become a monk on a motorcycle? Yeah, what 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 In... sent him to the drink so deeply? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, oh my gosh, um, what, I I have in my notes here. I think, um, let's see, uh, never drink before riding a motorcycle, kids. Um, yeah, because he does it several times in the film. <laughs> um, he has the funniest moment in the entirety of the movie for me, though, and it mm-hmm. is early on. And it, you, I, I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this. But I he, know exactly gets, what you're talking about. He gets to Johnny Blaze. They start talking. And he says, my brothers are all dead. I should be too, if not for the grace of God. And then we get a smash cut to him hanging upside down in a tree. And faintly off in the distance, you hear the French national anthem playing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then it comes back. And I had a, one of my notes was like, was that the French national anthem? Oh, because yeah, I started, absolutely. I started listening, and uh, I backed it up and put my headphones on and listened again. I'm like, it is. 
Mm-hmm. I'd forgot. I'd completely forgotten about that. It cracked me up. It's so yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a smash cut to a a like I think less than two seconds scene, and it's <laughs> yeah. him upside down in a tree, and it's ba bum ba bum 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 bum, and it cuts back. <laughs> yep, it's it. it's fantastic. <laughs> um and oh. it just fits with uh with it just fits with some of the kind of more ridiculous stuff that happens in this movie even from the first one like because he uh how he gets to that tree is he gets hit on a motorcycle by a car gets thrown off the side of a cliff manages to turn around and, and point his fnp 90 and shoot out the tires of the car and you don't <laughs> yes. see him again until this so <laughs> I mean, he's the hero of this movie for that that alone. Um, oh yeah, it's hard to believe this was like twelve years ago that this movie came out. Oh yeah, and uh, but Idris Elba, you cast him, you're going to get something good. And he was wearing very similar contacts to the mm-hmm. his his uh, Heimdall, which I thought was an interesting yes. choice. Um, Anthony, I, I, I gotta say. I didn't care for the French accent. No, I think it maybe needed a little bit of work, but but I, I think as an Englishman, he couldn't help but sneer at the French a little bit. You know, it's, it, it was his it was his uh, countryman's duty to sneer at the French just a little bit. Hey, that's fine. You're I I agree though. It definitely need, he needed a little more time to work on it. I think mm-hmm. I, I think he's capable. I think it's just oh, yeah, most absolutely almost all the time when it comes to accents like that, it's just an actor not given enough time uh, to to really work on it. Um, mm-hmm. this has a great trope in the very beginning of the movie that I, I love in movies. And we were 2011 was kind of the last vestiges of this. And that's the cyber monks. Um, these were, these, they were really big in the nineties, like monks that had technology that, oh yes, yes. um, you know, you would go to their monastery and it would look all old fashioned on the outside. And then you'd go inside the the secret room and they have all their computers and banks of electronics and all that. <laughs> um, I want to say there were like three or four action movies kind of in a row in the mid nineties that did it. One of them was one with Dennis Rodman. I remember specifically. Um, but I love that. And they were led by Anthony head as Benedict, which I'm sorry, but that was a wasted bit of casting. His part could have <laughs> been played by you or I, and it would have had the same impact mm-hmm. on the movie. And instead they spent the money on Anthony head, you know, Giles right. from Buffy, like, to to not even give him an we have another cameo appearance later on by somebody that at least that person will get to had a couple of minutes of screen time and something important going on this just felt mm-hmm. like we want a familiar face and then he gets shot and that's it and like it, it just ends I, I was so sad about that it just felt wasted to me like i don't mind you know when you I like i like i don't mind stunt casting most of the time if it's either done in a tongue in cheek manner or um, there's some purpose behind it. They just felt like literally any other person on the planet could have been there for that role. Yeah. This wasn't even a, this wasn't even a fun cameo. Like, uh, like say, uh, you know, the, the one second shot of Brad Pitt in Deadpool too, <laughs> yeah. um, which if you haven't seen it, no spoilers, but look out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, it was just a, a quick one or two lines and he was out. Yeah. Um, and he's received it. Elba even calls it. He's like, uh, we're, we're going to be dead soon. <laughs> I'll be sure enough. I'll give him credit. That opening is a decent little action set piece. Um, it just, it happens 
it's like the rest of this movie. It goes by so quickly that you can't really get your bearings and care about anything before the scene's kind of over. It's sort of the well, theme you, I have. You say that, but I, I really appreciated, um, not just due to the quality of the film, but uh, due to the the story itself, um, the 94-minute runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, you, d- you just don't see that in superhero movies, action movies and stuff anymore, where it's, hey, this is a very simple plot, simple mission, let's get it done, 90 minutes, in and out, we're done. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly appreciated the, the brevity with which they told the story, um, which, again, might have been budgetary concerns. But... <laughs> there was a little bit of that, because I definitely had a note at one point of, oh, we're on our second voiced-over uh, animation sequence, to mm-hmm. dump some exposition because we can't afford to show it. Uh, I also think that was part of Blackout as a character because he, 90% of his screen time, once he becomes Blackout, they shot with the entirety of the background black, right? Because he's supposed to bring darkness mm-hmm. yeah. as well as decay. And I'm like, absolutely. That feels like a budgetary thing. Like, well, this is just cheaper and easier for us to shoot it if we do it where everything is black behind it because we can just be on a soundstage and do that yep we we can we can we can do it on a green screen and sounds soundstage and we don't even have to put anything behind the chroma key here yep so <laughs> it just fades to black <laughs> um but uh no um but to its credit it doesn't feel like any scenes are missing uh no it, it felt like it didn't feel like okay like this doesn't make sense or where is this scene or any of that stuff the the whole story is told in that 94 minutes no, in fact, I would uh, I would say that there's maybe one scene that was added that you didn't necessarily need uh, for the story they mm-hmm. were telling, and that's the the silly bike tricks on the abandoned highway because they're in mm-hmm. the whole movie set in Europe, and that was a budgetary thing um, for sure because it's just cheaper to shoot over there. And uh, but oddly, all the characters have American accents, like um, for the most part. However, that's, I also noticed that every stretch of road they were on, there was never another car. No. It was only the cars that were involved in the scene would ever show up on the road. Um, and there's the one in particular where they're in a hurry. This, and my note was, wow, for being in a hurry, they're not driving very fast because they're in a hurry. But the, sh- the scene is him and the kid sitting on the back of the flatbed as he's working on the truck or the, the bike. And they're going along at like 25 miles an hour. Um, and he's just talking to the kid and it's the, it's this one where the kid starts asking him the questions about like, well, what if you're on fire and you have to pee, you know, cause of, the, of course that's going to be the first question a 12 year old kid's going to ask. I get that. Um, but I was just like, I wasn't the scene before this. He said they were in a hurry and now they're just puttering along an abandoned stretch of road. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seemed really strange to me, but you're right. I mean, it is a, I like a simple story and let your characters be the mm-hmm. complexity and do that. I just, there were, there were some choices made and I don't know if it was in trying to keep it PG 13 um, or like you said, budgetary, cause this had a much smaller budget than the first movie too. Absolutely. And, and, and most of the CGI clearly goes to uh ghost Rider himself mm-hmm. who 12 years old movie looks, looks pretty good. That was um, honestly. Um, yeah. Uh, it was a choice. I like the choice of making the skull like all dirty and charred and black instead of being kind of a bright white. Instead of the white. bright white, yeah. Um, 
I liked his and, and, and his whole body, the 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 like the leather is melting on him yeah. and everything. It, it looks like he's on fire. It's really cool. I, I missed some of the like the metal biker studs that he would get um in his jacket, but I think if you mix yeah, those they kept the in, costume real simple. Yeah, if you mix those in with the like the melty burnt up leather, I think that would look even better. Um but it was probably gonna be a lot harder to do the metal in the CG that they were doing at the time um so like that's fine but the 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 cg itself for especially for ghost rider looked really good i think the fire oh yeah uh the way it moved as he moved i thought was really good um when he turns that giant piece of construction equipment into a uh hellfire spawns giant like oh that what was the giant that excavating thing? machine yeah it uh was... it's it's it, yeah it's it's a giant it's a it's a big old uh excavator um it's it's used for i think uh it's for like strip mining it'll okay. it'll dig down levels um but uh yeah they and and i don't really recall in the first one um i know that in the first one the old rider had a horse and the new rider has a a motorcycle but i didn't know that he like literally transfers his power to anything he operates which is an interesting mechanic to introduce and it's not just the excavating machine he does it with he also does it with a, a truck later on yep um but yeah but yeah getting on that excavating machine and seeing those those flames flying out of that giant chainsaw were <laughs> was pretty pretty interesting i like that a lot the fire effects all all through when he changes the truck later on looks really good um you're right though it is a power i didn't know that he necessarily had but his power mm. his powers in this movie were very varied and kind of inconsistent because the first time he shows up um, he's fighting the guys and he gets taken out by a couple of grenades and he ends up in the hospital after the first fight, which, okay. Uh, fire apparently puts him in the hospital, but then the next time we see him, he gets hit by a, by a shoulder mounted missile and just shrugs it off. Like it's nothing. And then yeah, he, he has, he gets fight. hit by a javelin and he's fine. <laughs> uh, and then a bunker buster, I think he gets thrown into the ground and he's, yeah. he's okay. No, it's fine. So, you know, there were. They were playing fast and loose with the rules there too. But again, it's uh, David Goyer. So I kind of, I expect that he, he does that uh, quite a bit at the same time <laughs> though, playing rule of cool. I'm fine with that uh, because it did lead to some, I mean, again, all the stuff with the writer, it, it was simultaneously like some of the most badass stuff. And then at the same time, you're like, why is he just standing there swaying back and forth for a minute right. and not doing anything? And then he would use his penance stare, which I think is a really cool power that Ghost Rider had. Um, but it it was a weird translation of the way it happened because we just sort of had him holding and caressing a guy's head. Yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 translation of what I, I think translation is a good word uh, of what's happening yeah. um, uh, visually is I was like. What are they doing here? It feels like they forgot to add in some of the CGI mm -hmm. because yeah, it's literally, he's just holding him and staring at him. And he does this each time he uses the pin and stare. It's not just once each time he uses the pin and stare. He's it's just staring. And maybe there's like a scream or something. Yeah. But it doesn't really show what's happening. And he's not like sucking his soul out or anything or anything like that. Yeah, I, um, I feel so like I, I think that could have used a little bit more communication. Yeah, that was that feels like it was translated better in the first movie, the way that the pennant stare worked, because at least there, there seemed to be more reaction from the person he was staring at, too. 
Um, yeah. And maybe so, you know, either way, I, it's still it's a cool power. I just you're right. Translation is a good way to put it. And it probably could have been done better. But like his chains were awesome. Um, and just using those to, to reduce people to cinders. I liked blackouts, um, cor- uh, like corrosion decay power. I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Of course it leads to the silly joke of the Twinkie, but whatever, I'm fine with that. Um, does, does make you question some other things like, well, what happens when he has to pee? That can't, yeah, absolutely. That's, does, uh, does, it, does it, does it not work on he himself? Right. Um, and you're like, yeah, can he only eat Twinkies now? Yeah, basically. Uh, or does it, does it not go turn to ash in his mouth? What's going on? Or was it the plastic that he was touching that didn't decay? And the Twinkie actually It's true. He have. was very careful to, p- to use the plastic. So who knows? I, like, I also liked his way of eating a Twinkie uh, out of the plastic, which is just to squeeze it. And then just, <laughs> just like... sucking it right out. Just like a tube of toothpaste. Uh, I've never, ever tried that with a Twinkie before and uh, probably never will. Um, <laughs> uh, I mentioned another um, cameo that comes later, and that was Christopher Lambert shows up right towards the end um, as another. I was like, oh, that's Highlander, uh, which I'm always going to uh, pop like a like a cheap fan when I see Christopher Lambert, um, because mm-hmm. he is he's Connor McLeod in this. He doesn't get a name in the movie, but in the credits, he's Methodius. Um, Methodius. Pretty sure was created just for the movie. Uh, OK. Of course, he's got all that, that makeup on for like what are supposed to be tattoos all over his head. Um, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, he really... looks like he's got the dead sea scrolls tattoo on his face. <laughs> it's a really cool look again. It's those weird, mysterious monks, right? These are like even further out there monks in the middle of nowhere, like in a Valley, I guess that had caves. I don't... It looks like they're, they're living in like a Hopi village. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was crazy. Another great piece of uh, trivia I read and this one, I believe half of it. Um, which was Christopher Lambert underwent three months of sword training and shaved his head for this role. Which half of that do you think I believe? Because I'm pretty sure he shaved uh, his head. He shaved his head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he shaved his head. Yeah. I, he didn't need three months of sword training. Uh, to, I to think do... he probably got plenty of that in a couple of Highlander movies he was in. Yeah. No, he's he's done more sword fights on film than uh, probably anyone else in this movie. Um, and yes. And his sword fighting in this in this movie consisted of pulling a sword out and spinning with it once, I think, um, for his little fight scene with Blackout. Um, Which, to be fair, spinning is a neat trick. It is. And it was a cool way for him to go because we had seen him do some sort of weird nerve pinch before. Like, these monks apparently knew pressure points. Uh, but we saw yeah, yeah. him... Oh, he... he- he places his hand on like somebody's uh, on the on the mother of the boy uh, mm-hmm. on Danny's mom's like nose and under her throat. I'm like, and and I, yeah, I saw him do that. I was like, Spock, is that you? <laughs> yeah. And then but then he tries that on blackout and then he pulls back his hand and it's all decayed and everything. I thought that was kind of a cool way to do that. Um, and this this is um, casting a cameo where, yeah, he's not in the movie for very long and he really had like we know literally nothing about him other than he's a monk that Moreau apparently trusted and shouldn't have because he's very clearly has ulterior motives from the moment he sees uh, Johnny blaze. He's just like, 
staring daggers through him. Like you don't, mm-hmm. even if it's the first time you're seeing this, you're like, yeah, I don't trust that guy at all. He's, he's not going to help them. Um, but, uh, well, and, but it works. And, and the twist, the twist there, I, I kind of saw coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a pretty standard trope. Uh, mm-hmm. no, the, you know, uh, and I mean, we, we just talk about spoilers. It's 12 years old. Uh, the, some of the good guys were the bad, were bad guys all along, or they yeah. have a, uh, they're, they're, they're planning to do an evil thing to do that, make the good ends. But I expected Moreau to be in on it and he wasn't, which was somewhat refreshing. Yes. That was the nice change. Like he genuinely wanted to help this kid and help Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of, yep. we, we didn't really talk about the kid is, um, there's, uh, Nadia and her son, Danny are on the run mm-hmm. and that's who Johnny is helping. Well, turns out that he is, uh, also half the devil. Um, he was mm-hmm. conceived in a deal she made with the devil. So it's the devil's son. And there's some right that he needs to perform to transfer his essence into that body because, and this was where the simple story got a little convoluted and kind of like, wait, what's going on? Um, the devil or Rourke uh, can not exist on earth unless he's in a mortal body, but the mortal bodies can't sustain the power that he has. So he has to change bodies a lot, but this kid he'll be able to sustain for much longer because he is not fully, he's only half human why it took him this long to figure that little trick out. I'm, and he hasn't tried to use it before. I'm not sure. Cause they don't really mention that there is, he just knows all about it, but like this is apparently the first time he's doing it. Well, and what I had initially thought was, cause they set it up in the, in the opening animatic, they set it up in, yeah, he has to transfer bodies Yep. and he does, he's not in full power. Um, but he has to transfer bodies on earth. And near the end, I was, when, when they found out, when we found out what he wanted Danny for, I was like, Oh, he's just the next body. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's simple. Hey, maybe we can cut off the chain here, send him back for a while, get like 30, 30, 40 years. Good. Right. Yeah. But no, it was, he's special. Like, mm-hmm. wait, why is he special? <laughs> Surely this has happened before. You would think. Surely feels- the devil has 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 done it with a lady at least once before you would that (laughs) felt that felt like somebody late in the stage of writing the script or while they were shooting it was like oh wouldn't this be cool if we did that and they Mm -hmm. didn't they didn't think about it beyond that they're just like yeah and threw it in the script and shot it and ran with it um because yeah i think a lot of i think a lot of comic movie writers um really they really underestimate how invested mm. uh, comic care and any in the wider audiences can get invested in lower stakes. Like this doesn't have to be the end of the world. This can just be dangerous to this one kid. Yep. And as long as we like the kid, we can be invested in it. Absolutely. And as long as we appreciate the relationship between the superhero and the kid, we can understand why the superhero wants to save the kid too. And we can be super invested in that. It doesn't have to be blue space laser or the end of the world. Right. right. Oh, absolutely. No, you're a hundred percent on that. Um, I, I love a, a small state. I think that's why like the Netflix defender series of shows with, with daredevil and Jessica Jones and all that part of why those worked so well for me was the lower stakes. Not everything I mean, was the, end the of the world. Stuff. It was, it was 
just Daredevil dealing with Kingpin or Jessica Jones dealing with her one enemy and it didn't affect the entirety of the world or even the necessarily the entirety of New York right away, they may be built to a little bit of that, but it was always like, it was never Avengers level threat. It was never the blue space laser. And I'm, I'm well, all and, for and that. Because, and because you're dealing with lower stakes, it gives the opportunity to, for you to introduce a whole lot of normal people. Mm -hmm. And like, this is what normal people look like in this world with these extraordinary people. Yeah, and these are the 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 normal people that it, that interact with these extraordinary people, which gives you as an audience member something to latch onto and actually connect with, mm -hmm. um, and much then, more relatable. Yeah, on and on top of the fact that you can you can spend more time developing a relationship and caring about the character, because I think absolutely, if this movie had been, if you take out the silly like we're gonna pop a couple wheelies on the on the street, like that was all the bonding they got. <laughs> was that and the awkward scene in the diner where like again nick cage i love nick cage because he walks over and you see it unfolding where as he's walking in with the tray of food and he looks over and he sees the dad and his son and he sees the dad ruffling the kid's hair so when he sits down that's just the thing he's like i guess that's what dads do i'm just gonna ruffle your hair and when the kid you know the kid's gonna like he's bristle like that. he's an like, alien and not a forty-five-year-old man who totally <laughs> understands how people work on Earth. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's learning humanity for the first time. Um, right. It's just like, oh, there was a bee in your hair. I thought it was gonna sting your face. Like what? What? <laughs> Followed up by just grabbing the entire pitcher of water and drinking straight from it. Right. Like. <laughs> But it's things like that that, like I say, it, Cage always brings so much with him to a movie. Even if it's like way out there or the decisions are weird and don't make any sense, like acting like an alien, um, it's, it, it can be memorable. And if it's not that, it's him doing like a full Cage freak out, which if, oh. I had a, if I had a problem with the first movie, it was that we only got glimpses of cage kind of really going at it in that first ghost rider movie and in this one he was like nope we're, we're gonna have some fun here i'm going to um and couple that and I with can, i can even see what he did or how he got to where he where he was because in a couple times in this script we learn a little bit more about uh the 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 angel the tortured angel that is inside of him, the spirit, the spirit of vengeance yep. that is inside of him, that is makes him the ghost rider. And a couple times the, 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 the spirit is, is, is referred to as insane. Mm -hmm. And so cage looks at that and he's like, Oh, well, when I start transforming, I'll act insane. Yeah. I can do that. And so he just, he just, he just goes for it. He really, really does. And uh, I don't know if you've seen any behind the scenes, footage of the filming of this movie but he showed up and he had his face painted white but with big circles of black around his eyes looking almost like uh baron uh was it baron smotty i think from like the the old james bond movie like he <laughs> did that and it was it was his idea that like he knew it was all going to be cgi and it was motion capture but he wanted he was giving an interview talking about this and he painted his face like that. And he, he was talking about sewing like um, trinkets and stones, like gemstones into his motion capture suit, like ancient Egyptian stuff 
to wow. to like somehow and he and he's talking about like it was his acting method he was talking about his uh what he calls his nouveau shamanic acting method okay um but he was like yeah i wanted to do this and it, what it does is it, it you know then i show up on set like that and the the cast and the crew are scared of me and like it makes me uh it puts me in the in the space to do this better and he's like i don't know if any of it actually works or not but it tricked my brain into it so you know i just went with it and he's like, so hey, there's, if it gets him doing cool cage. I'm all for it. There's like behind the scenes footage of him. And he's it's just white face paint with these giant circles of black around his eyes and like his mouth screaming or hanging that shot where ghost riders like spinning in a flat circle there for a second. It's a shot of Nick cage in a rig spinning around painted up like that. And it's just, it's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And I loved it. And it didn't need to be there. Cause he's also wearing like the halo for the motion capture at the same right. time with all that face paint on. And it's like, are you going to tell Nick Cage? No, go wipe the face, go wipe the paint off. No, you're not. You're just going to, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to do that because it's Nicholas Cage. He's allowed. Uh, <laughs> and it was just crazy, but he just, he does all this stuff. Like I'm glad I, I like that. They had him do the motion capture and the voice. So it, uh, it always feels like the same performance. Um, I, I appreciate oh, when yeah. the actors get to do their own motion capture. Um, because, and sometimes you want to bring in like a, uh, you know, a, an Anthony circus or somebody, uh, a trained motion capture artist. But if your actor can do it, like Mark Ruffalo doing the motion capture for Hulk is great because it always feels like the same character. And so I was glad they well, did and, that. And, and, and very much the same with Nick Cage, because Nick Cage has has kind of an almost jerky way of moving mm-hmm. and walking and moving his arms and his shoulders. Yeah. And if it was a completely other voice or I say voice um, motion capture uh, actor doing it, you'd be able to tell instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it looks like Cage walking around with a with a flaming skull, uh, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And, and it, it works. It pull, they pull that off quite well. Um, the other great scene is him going full cartoon character when he, uh, is fighting back, um, the spirit. It's mm-hmm. a, Zer- I think it's Zarathos is the name of the spirit in the comics. Um, I, that sounds that, right. And I want to say they mention it once, but it's like a, it's, they say it so quickly that you wouldn't even it wouldn't register in the movie, but he's fighting that back. We don't ever get a full transformation sequence in this, which again, speaks kind of to budget. No, the closest we get is after that holding back scene where he's interrogating the guy and every once in a while, like one of his eyes will pop up as, yep. as the empty skull, which is hilarious. It's uh, nightmare um, fuel if taken out of context yeah. too. Like if you just get yeah, still frames that, of that, yeah. And after that, they, they do a similar thing where the camera's just right on his face. He's riding the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. He's laughing. He's just laughing maniacally. Uh, and and every and his, you know, his face is kind of transforming. But the next scene, he's Ghost Rider. You don't you don't get the full like, yeah. like from from there to to Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's I mean, look, I'm, I'm always here for a full cage freak out and for him to just absolutely just go for it. And that. I remember seeing a YouTube review of this movie years and years ago where the YouTuber took still frames from that particular scene. Every time his face would pop and like he would be a different one and he named them different characters. 
because each one is so like one one giant black eye and then one of it where it's got like the nose is gone and half of his smile is there and it's just, it, they're amazing there's such good still frames and it's you know underlying with nick cage just going for it um and then you know by the end of it he has a pretty good action sequence on the road which that's neville dean and taylor that's their bread and butter at this time was those hyper action sequences this movie i think goes a little too far in that direction of like they can't ever have the camera not moving mm -hmm. uh at any point yeah, that even super frenetic action scene where you're sometimes you're like wait what's happening <laughs> even establishing shots had like a ramp up slow down effect on them like you would see an establishing shot of a <laughs> of a castle and there'd be a quick pan type thing going on it's like no you don't you can you can slow down guys it's okay like oh make, no i i i even i wrote that when uh when uh idris elba is riding up the uh the uh the driveway to the castle in the beginning i wrote uh let's see what was what's in my notes here um castlevania ass entrance to castle uh, <laughs> yep because <laughs> um, it reminded me so much of, of of the intro to any castlevania game <laughs> And Neville Dean and Taylor, they had, like I said, they had done um, Crank and Crank High Voltage before this and mm -hmm. a movie with um, Gerard Butler called Gamer. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, I saw all three of them. And and all three of those are good action movies. They wrote them, too, um, which I think helps. This was the first movie they had made together that they didn't write the script for. And... Mm -hmm. Um, they were famous for shooting everything on video. They would use, like they shot, I think it was crank and crank high voltage. They shot on like consumer grade uh, video cameras because they wanted Absolutely. smaller cameras they could use. And they did a lot of crazy dolly work and like rollerblading with cameras and getting camera cameras into spots. You just can't get a, a standard, especially at that oh. time, film camera yeah. in. In both Crank films, the camera work is incredible. Yeah, and they are also a lot of times the camera operators in their films, uh, Neville Dean and mm -hmm. Taylor, which it goes a long way. Um, and there are times in this where that just looks so good, like the car chases on the road that works because you can get that camera underneath uh, a car right by a tire in spots that you just you don't get to see that often, especially 10 years ago, 15 years ago when this was made. Um, right. But the problem is they never turned that off. <laughs> like they never got out of that mode. And to your point, there's times where you're just like, wait, what's going on? What's happening here? Yeah. Like one of my notes at the beginning <laughs> was, I know they want that frenetic, frenetic action packed thing, but they also have like a stuttering frame rate and it's a little bit jarring and you have no idea who <laughs> anyone is. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening here. I just need to slow down for a second. Let me, let me absorb yeah. what's going on. But, um, yeah, Boy. it doesn't help that everybody's wearing black leather throughout the entire <laughs> throughout the entire yeah. movie. And and that's a thing, right? Like good action directors can, and I've talked about this a lot, especially recently, can help you figure out the geography of a scene and where everyone is. And you can keep track right. of what's going on where. And I think for the most part, especially that last um car chase before uh when he when he chases him down and it's like the next morning or whatever after the ritual right um i think for the most part the geography of that was i was able to follow where everyone is in relation to everyone else mm -hmm. we didn't get a ton of 
you know, like, wait, how did that car get there all of a sudden? Or wasn't there like no cars left type of thing? Like, it, I think it, it helps a lot that throughout the whole scene, there's there's a car on fire. Yeah. And so I know where where the car on fire is. I know where everybody else is relative to that. Yeah. And again, that's like that's good staging and directing to set that up. So your Absolutely. eye has something to latch on to. Um, so I give them credit for that for the most part. Like even that opening scene, it's just it's so much right at the beginning of the movie where you don't even you haven't had a chance to sit down and like settle into your seat yet. And you're just assaulted with this action sequence. <laughs> um, and uh, but you know, that's their style. Sadly, this was the last movie they made together. Um, no kidding. They, they kind of split and they haven't worked together since then. Uh, Mark Neville Dean did, has directed two films, the Vatican tapes, which I never saw and Panama, um, which I also didn't see, but apparently has uh, came out in 2022 and has Harrison Ford in it. And then Brian Taylor directed um, mom and dad with Nick cage, which is one that's going on my list for, for, possibly next year's cage of palooza so i hear that one's pretty okay. fun and uh he actually helped uh adapt and direct the series uh happy on sci-fi okay yeah that was brian taylor uh, with uh yeah okay yeah so um and then he did a movie called out uh so they just kind of split split ways they made four movies together and i don't know if it was the failure of this at the box office or i i didn't read about any like tensions between them making it or anything like that they just sort of stop working together um which is kind of well, a bummer they, because they know, had sometimes the bands just sometimes the bands just made their last album and that's all there is to it yeah know? maybe they just knew like we can't keep doing the same because crank and crank high voltage are basically the same movie for the most mm -hmm. part um gamer did go in a different direction but maybe it was just they kind of figured well we've run it it's run its course let's go off and and do Maybe they'll get back together and work on another project. Because I think when they work together and they write a script and then film it, I feel like they they get a better result. Like some directors just are better at that, at, at kind of shooting the stuff. Well, they, and they can write to their they can write to their strengths. Mm -hmm. um, and and because because there are a lot of slow down dialogue scenes in this movie, and that is that is not what they are about. Uh, no, to watch the crank movies. No, they are not. Uh, they are not character study type directors. At least, at least not at this point in their careers. Right. And I think too, you know, there's a Sony was the studio. There's a certain amount of studio uh, influence and interference you're going to get in anything, where you go from lower budget kind of independent films like a Crank, where you have a lot of you're producing it as well as writing it as well as directing it, and there's not a lot of overhead to. I mean, it's got to be tough, I feel like, if you're a filmmaker, when someone like Marvel or Sony or somebody comes to you and it's like, hey, we want you to work on this this project. And maybe you grew up as a big fan of that project, of that source material when these, with these IP films. And then you've got to deal with somebody telling you what you can and can't do. Uh, if this did start well, off and Especially as a, if you're dealing with Avi Arad. Oh, that, <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah. And I like, again, if it did start off that they were, you know, talking about doing it as an R rated film and then between Sony and Avi Arad, they said, no, we're going to do PG 13. It's like, that's got to sting a lot for a director to oh, yeah. suddenly be told like, yeah, you got to change everything that you're doing. It's why we've seen in recent years, more directors walk away from like Marvel projects, which again, you, you make money as a director on a Marvel film and it's huge yeah. exposure, but like, uh, was Edgar Wright on Ant-Man 
creative differences walked away. Scott Derrickson on uh, the second uh, on Multiverse of Madness walks away because, you know, and he, and he stayed on uh, as a producer, but, you know, filmmakers, they, they have ego and they have stuff that they want to do. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And I think some directors aren't suited for that type of filmmaking. Not everybody can be Christopher Nolan who gets to mm-hmm. do those kinds of like, he gets to make a movie like Oppenheimer where it's effectively like a small independent film type of shoot for him, but it's mm-hmm. this huge budget thing. Uh, well, and, I mean, he's, he's one of the last auteurs, right? It's, yeah. it's him and, 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 and Tarantino basically left pretty much. Um, so it, you know, it's, it can't be easy. And the business side of filmmaking is the hardest part of it, I think. And it's why I believe it. It's why when I see good actors in just terrible movies, I never blame an actor for doing that because they're getting paid and they're working. And like Cage, Nick Cage especially is one who he has that reputation of being in terrible movies and a lot of people call him a terrible actor. I do not think he's a bad actor. No. I do I do think he's a very good actor that just makes choices. And when he makes that choice, then he goes with it. He doesn't back away from it. Um but he also, like, I think it was a combination of, you know, that he went through a period of time where he needed money. Um, but he also, I think, just likes to work a lot. Because, well, he, I think he likes to work. He likes to try new things. And and look, like, I'm going to be crucified for saying this, but David Bowie had some bad albums, man. Like, yeah, no, he tried right. a lot of weird stuff. And artists do that sometimes. And I think Cage is just one of those guys. He's like, this looks weird and interesting. I'm going to try it. And I'm going to try it this way this time. Now I will say I think I think he had the benefit starting out his career as the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, even though he didn't trade okay. on the name. Like that's still there, but even so, he's continued to do this thing for forever, and he never. I don't see him taking a lot of the safe roles or um, or anything like that. He will he will do stuff that's just weird, like uh, whether it's you know Wicker Man or unbearable weight of massive talent that came out last year. That's not a safe movie to do. That's a weird thing. And he's playing on the fact that he's a bit of a meme, but. Well, he's got a similar uh, career path just many, many years ahead as like a Daniel Radcliffe, like early on you make all the money and now you can basically do whatever you want. And Daniel Radcliffe basically doesn't do anything normal anymore. That's he does true. a bunch of weird little indie movies, and he's he's he works his butt off in all of them. He's spectacular in all of them, as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh yeah. And I think Nick Cage is is the same. And I think you know maybe he has some bills to pay as well. But uh, <laughs> he I th- he works his butt off, and I don't think anybody can say can take that away from him. No, not at all. And and I think sometimes too, he just wants to try working with a new director. Like he got to work mm-hmm. with uh, you know these two guys, and he ends up working with. Um, Brian Taylor again on a, on a movie six years later and he gets to work with, you know, when he did um, bringing out the dead, which I think was a fantastic movie. And I thought he was really good in it. It's like, well, he's got an opportunity to work with Marty Scorsese. You don't really turn that down. Like, you know, Uh, and then bringing out the dead is fantastic. What, what (laughs) it's a, it's a gut punch, but it's really fantastic. Oh yeah. No, it's, it definitely is, is that, um, but then, you know, I mean, something comes along like National Treasure, I think, is the closest I would think of Nick Cage as like the quote unquote sellout type role. Like, I'm just going to do a big budget movie to 
because it's a paycheck, but he still puts so much of himself into that movie um, mm-hmm. that I really, really enjoy it. Uh, so he's just, he's an interesting person and that's why I like to celebrate him every year and watch a bunch of his movies. And because it's so varied, like this was, he's a huge comic book fan and he gets to play ghost Rider, and it didn't do well, but he got, he went for it. And he said, after this movie came out initially, I think he was kind of interested in doing another one, then decided, no, you know what? I'm done with the role. Like I've done what I need to do with that character. I don't want to go back to it. You don't see him do a lot of sequels. Um, I can think of the National Treasure movies, and this is like the only times I can think of him in a sequel to any role he's done. Yeah, I can't think of anything else either. And, uh, But I I appreciate that too, because I think, you know, you see him in this, and like uh, I saw him a few weeks ago in the movie Jiu-Jitsu from 2020. I don't know if you've seen that one or heard of it, but... no. It was uh, the the elevator pitch for it was uh, every six years, a comet comes by the earth and an alien fights jujitsu warriors for the fate of humanity. Oh, um, good. It was it was just so it's a, a documentary. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. It was the super, super <laughs> low budget movie, and he's in it for like 20 minutes. I think he was reportedly on set for like three days, but he got a he got paid for it. <laughs> and he and his time on screen goes for it. He does it. Like he doesn't cheap out at all. And, uh, and I appreciate that because some actors will take a role. You know, there, there's the whole thing where they'll take a big role so they can fund the smaller film. Um, but uh, they, ne- some actors can just not bring their a game for that. Cage never doesn't bring his a game. He's always going to give you a hundred percent. And that's yeah, why the, the old, uh, the old phrasing is one for them, one for me. Yeah. But uh, I think for Cage, I think for him, they're all for me. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> for me personally, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. all yes, Cage just for you. For me. Yes. <laughs> and they're just, it's always fun. And, and I think that's why I think this movie has its fun moments, but I'm left with this feeling of what if, like what if Neveldine and Taylor got to make the R-rated version that they really wanted to and got a little bit more budget to um, flesh out some of the characters because the story doesn't need to be anymore. The story is fine the way it is. Um, Flesh out a couple of your characters. uh, Give us um, a little bit more um, on the, on like a transition and maybe some, I don't know. I, I don't know what the more would be, but like, with with Cage, with Elba, with Kieran Hines, who again in this movie, just way overacting, and it's wonderful. Uh, he's so <laughs> ridiculous as as Rourke. I did like he is chewing it, and I had forgotten about this bit because I I hadn't seen the movie in so long, so I would only see like still frames of it. But I'd forgotten that it's using his powers as Rourke as the devil that causes half of his face to look like it's melting because the body okay. can't sustain it. So that it's, it's that halfway through the movie when he turns Kerrigan into blackout and you see him reach underneath the rock and uh, the big piece of concrete that's on him. And then there's just a shot where you see his one eye turn all red and bloodshot and like half his face starts to droop a little bit. And I was like, okay, that's like, that's an interesting little thing yeah. to do where like the body. So can't... he can only make so many deals in each body. Yeah before it just burns it out. I, I liked his description of it, putting like a huge engine in a tiny car and just burning it out. Right. 
Um, <laughs> or no, uh, paper mache flamethrower. That's what it was. <laughs> Imagine a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good setup. I'm going to give him that. Like, yes, absolutely. That was a that was a good way to do that. But yeah, Kieran Hines just going for it. I don't know. The, it's a it's it doesn't deserve to be the 19% Rotten Tomatoes. It's a 50-50 movie for me. Uh, it's it's one of those, you're going to enjoy it or you're going to absolutely hate it, but it's going to be something you... I don't feel like you have a bad time watching this because there is entertaining bits and parts to it. It just it needed a little more time to, to cook and just maybe uh, a couple of changes. The R rating, I think, would have made a huge difference because I think then you can really go yeah, into just, the I... horror elements of things. I just I just found myself wanting a little bit more of everything, mm-hmm. um, and it, everything felt almost a little half baked. Yeah, um, and you're just just not quite done. Yes, um, just a little. And, but polish. I think I think all the elements are there for for a decent movie, especially especially one and one with a little bit more polish that could easily fit into the MCU's quality. Oh, for um, sure. Especially, especially, and and once again, I want to really praise the those visual effects artists. Um, yes, you can quite tell. Twelve years ago, this was before every visual effects artist in the world was working on Thanos's face, mm-hmm. uh, because because they were able to work on it and and do their work really well, uh, even with a lower budget. Yeah, and it for it to hold up and look as good as it does twelve years later, I think is uh, impressive. And it's 100%. funny because that was one of the knocks against the movie when it came out was uneven CGI. And I think there's a couple of moments mm-hmm. that that don't work as well as others. There's like there's one shot in particular where um, the background, the sky is clearly replacing what sky was there. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's when they first get to that la- that castle right at the end. Um, but like, I don't care. I've seen much, much worse in plenty of movies. But the stuff that mattered, the the ghost rider and his motorcycle and everything that he did and all the fire effects just looked so good. And it was a good, yeah. this was 10 years, 12 years ago, and they were doing a good mixture of practical and CG extensions then. They were kind of a little bit ahead of the curve on a lot of the major studios working that, that level of mixing the practical and, uh, and CG. And... You know that's that is to this movie's credit. Uh, there's also the all the VFX artists weren't completely overworked, uh, which helps. So no, this is a fun movie. It does have a couple good quotes in it. I gotta play because uh, there's things in here that you never thought you'd hear in a movie. Um, at least I never did. Uh, one before I do any lines, just Nick Cage and his wheezing laugh. Because I have captured, <laughs> I have captured many different iterations of Nick Cage in his forced fake laughing in, in movies because I love all of them. Because like no one does the over the top laugh like him, but in this, it was never a full out laugh. It was a lot of. <laughs> he just <laughs> he does that like four times in the movie, and I loved it every single time. It's Muttley from the laughter. <laughs> It really is. Um, a, a variation. <laughs> and he can recreate it. It's it like it always sounds the same, but it was it was unique to each scene. Um, mm-hmm. There was a here's a line 
this right here, uh, if you if I hadn't read that David S. Goyer wrote or co-wrote this script, this would have told me that he was involved in some way. No, I get it. You're the devil's baby mama. <laughs> that is a David S. Goyer type line. He he writes stuff like that so much. I don't like to knock on professionals because it's hard work to do what they do. But Goyer is Absolutely. one Go, Goyer is one that uh, I have a love-hate relationship with David Goyer's work. Uh, on one hand, he wrote The First Blade, which I love. I think is a great, great comic book movie uh, and really kind of was the match that was the spark that, that lit the fire of kind of the comic book movie oh, yeah. renaissance. Um, the MCU owes a lot to blade. Yeah. But then he also writes something like this or directs and writes blade Trinity. So he giveth and he taketh <laughs> away like so much. Um, when, uh, when he wakes up in the hospital, which again, ghostwriter, apparently a couple of grenades and that's it puts him in the hospital. <laughs> but when he wakes up in the hospital, and the nurse walks in, uh, just that exchange was, brilliantly awkward and i caught he's, he starts flirting with her for some reason or is like you think maybe he's flirting with her to charm her to get her to do something but yeah. he didn't quite think it all the way through no and and, <laughs> but he's it was like please any pills you have morphine whatever you got i don't care any painkillers you have but i it want was, it i don't care it was the exchange uh when it, this just just tickled me it's funny because when you walked in, I, I, I thought I was still dreaming. You have hallucinate? You have hallucinate? No, 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 I'm not hallucinating. No, I'm, I'm trying no, to I'm flirt flirting. with you. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh, um, uh, he had a few in, in, in there that I, and I thought some of the more understated jokes were what made me laugh more. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in his interactions with, uh, um, with, uh, Moreau. Um, and do you have, do you have any of those lines in there? Oh, uh, let's before see. I, I um, I'm not sure if I do or not. I do have, uh, let's see. This is, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, probably. Oh, that's when she asked if it was going to be a, <laughs> if he was going to be a problem or if she was making a mistake. Um, mm -hmm. because they're looking down at the guy is when the, that fight club was happening and they're, they're going to interrogate that mm -hmm. guy. And he says, Oh, he looks like he works on a cruise ship. And she's like, am I making yeah. a mistake of bringing like, you along? And he's like, yeah, yep, probably. probably. <laughs> it's the sniff in there too. Like the Coke sniff, like he's all coked out, you know, cause it's, he's, he's, he's whole, he's still at this point, he's really fighting back. He's it's in the mm -hmm. early stages of fighting back the, the spirit from coming out. So he's like, He's like tweaking, which I really got me. Um, there's a and then. Uh, go ahead. Uh, let's see. Well, go ahead. Yeah. What, what, what were you going to say? No. Um, later on, when uh, when uh, Moreau is giving him his communion before they, mm. they take the spirit out of him <laughs> and he, he hands him the bread. Oh, this is the body of Christ. And, blah, and he takes the bite and he says, you've been carrying this bread a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was so well delivered. And then they kind of call back to that when he's got that, that 2000 year old bottle of wine and Moreau wine. takes a swig off it and he drinks. He's like, it'd probably be good on a salad. <laughs> this might be good on a salad. <laughs> Both of those, those are quality. 
that that's funny oh, yeah. stuff uh this is a <laughs> that went i think this is that went well let's see that went crazy <laughs> it was another wheezing laugh it was talking about the the the, the angel that went crazy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> i forgot i had that third laugh um <laughs> okay here's a plot point for me that was like this is again one of those things where somebody writes the idea of this but doesn't think it through in terms of how it's going to affect the movie. Kerrigan, it's our it's our introduction to Rourke in the film. Kerrigan calls Rourke and he's like, "Hey, I got your kid. You know, I got the kid you wanted me to get." And he tells him, "Okay, put the kid on the phone." And then he does he's he speaks in tongues or whatever into the phone and the kid has his freak out and Kerrigan picks it up. He's like, "What the hell was that?" And he says, I just uploaded a little program, a firewall. Our friend on the motorcycle won't be able to sense him now, to track him. Which is all well and good. Makes perfect sense. We're going we're gonna to shield the kid so the rider can't track him. Followed up immediately by and him saying... a little help in there, too. Yeah. Followed up immediately by him saying, but he probably can still track you, so you're going to want to keep moving then what the (laughs) hell was was the the point? point? (laughs) (laughs) We just, we just wasted what could be a really cool thing by completely undoing it with the next words out of your mouth. (laughs) Oh, um, let's see. Uh, shoes, shoes, shoes. I mean, these guys are going to lift my curse. They don't even have shoes. (laughs) I really feel like that's an ad lib by him. Like he just thought that up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and, and like you said, it's such a juxtapose. It's juxtaposed so much with the the monks from the beginning that are all, you know, swordfish uh, hacker yeah. t- tech, and these guys live in holes in the in the side of the cliff. Yep. Uh, and they 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 wear robes and have no shoes. Um, Surely, yeah, guys that don't wear shoes wouldn't know how to perform a religious ritual. Of course not. No. <laughs> um, which that ritual itself was was interesting, right? Because he he took the Eucharist. He takes the bread. Did he drink wine at that point? I don't think he mm-hmm. did the blood. Did he? I don't remember. Yes. Yeah. It, it wasn't the two thousand year old, but yes, he did have okay. a little wine. And then uh, one, one of the one of the uh, $2,000 bottles. Oh, right. right yeah. or, I don't know. And then Moreau just like sends him. He's like, well, I can't follow you now. Go here. And he just goes into a room where no one else is. And they close him in there and things happen and the spirit's gone. Um, that's another one where I just kind of I almost wish we had at least gotten a little like I don't need film as a visual medium. Right. We don't need everything explained through exposition. But maybe just a little bit just yeah it's just is just, this a magic cave are the monks doing something what's happening yeah. can, can you give us a starter can you just get us on the right track and then we can follow it through with the rest of the scene it was just i did well, I f- that was one where well, i felt like did i miss part did i w- what happened there it, especially because it has it does have a really strong start the you know he takes the eucharist yeah and then uh it's like confess you know he takes a confession and he's like i made the deal for me mm-hmm. i was selfish it was for me because I couldn't let my dad go. He wanted to go and I wouldn't let him. Um, and that's, I mean, it was, I think it was a really strong character moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they dump him in the magic cave. Yeah. 
and he's fine <laughs> at the end of it he's no more no more ghost rider all right um mm-hmm. and then there's uh finally this one um i there was no way i was not going to get at least part of this scene uh, he's scraping at the door scraping at the door <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the fear on that man's face in that scene is genuine. I don't think he knew what was happening in that scene. He was terrified of Nicolas Cage. Yes. <laughs> he had to have been because I would have been. I'd have been peeing myself at that point. Like I'll tell you whatever you want. I don't care. I'll tell you who started the Chicago fire. Like just stop whatever you're doing and, and back away from me, please. If he, if he was like, please don't hurt me, Mr. Cage. And they had to ADR it to be like, please don't hurt me, Johnny blaze. Oh, that would have been even better. <laughs> oh, but the, the movie, the movie's like worth it for certain scenes like that, because it's such a silly idea behind the movie to begin with that you kind of have to lean into that, the, the silliness of it. Mm-hmm. And I think those are scenes where it works. Um, I wanted maybe a little bit more bonding and that's where I don't, it's weird. I don't want the movie to be any longer than it is. Cause I think the 94 minutes is a nice tight runtime for this for an, uh, something that's got some, some good action and it keeps you engaged for that period of time. I think if you go too much longer than that, you're going to start to get some diminishing returns, but I think you could use a little bit of your runtime a little better for like him him bonding with the kid is great because you get the payoff of that at the end where the kid, you know, gives him back his powers when, when Danny mm. realizes, yes, I've got basically the ability to do this. Here's your spirit of vengeance back, which I thought was a, a cool moment. Um, I just wish we'd had a little more bonding with, with him and the kid where it felt like where it felt like they bonded more instead of just, Hey, I can pee fire and it's cool. That was the amount yeah, of fun. And I can do these sweet tricks on this motorcycle with no helmet on. Yeah. Uh, teaching, no helmet on you. Yep. Teaching the kid good stuff <laughs> while his mom's right there. Don't learn safety from a stunt driver. No. no. <laughs> I also, to have like the opening recap the last movie or part of the last movie, but we don't use any footage from that. So they kind of, and I, I kind of, I get it in a part because they did change things. If you don't have the same Mephisto, um, it would look weird to have a different actor, you know, showing Peter Fonda. Although part of what they said, the, the directors were saying was that they kind of liked that because it showed that the devil had to change bodies. Um, mm-hmm. but that quickly, like, cause we, I, we don't really get a sense of how long between movies was either. He's just been on the run. No. He's been doing his, his best Bruce Banner, uh, you know, going on the run to keep the, the thing at bay. I also, the Jerry Springer joke was like i don't know that felt like low-hanging fruit to me like i got joseph stalin i got vlad the impaler those were great but then just jerry springer and a still frame on him for like five seconds well and 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 it is it certainly is strange and especially if you if you know a little bit more about who jerry springer actually was Mm -hmm. like yeah i think some of the stuff he did to television was kind of poisonous but like as a person he he was mostly a pretty decent guy yeah that just Uh, uh, so that one to me felt like punching down well this was before he was dead though 
Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, but I, I, I remember thinking yeah. that the first time I saw it too, like I get the joke they're going for, but I feel like it could have been that that's one that could have been executed better. Um, but over like overall, there's just, there are a lot of things to enjoy. This is a fun movie to watch with friends too. I think, I think that's an important thing to like, don't go into this thinking like you're going to get a great comic book film, but you're going to get something enjoyable out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you don't go into color out of space thinking you're going to get a fantastic HP Lovecraft film, but you'll get, you'll, you'll get something. Well, I still think that's probably the best adaptation of Lovecraft, but that's a discussion we can have another time. It, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Actually, I did too. I, I really like it, but, um, you're also not wrong, so I don't. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, uh, spirit of the, yeah. well, I mean, it's it's hardly that movie's fault. No, no, that's true. Um, I, it's hard for me. I think I don't like to always compare movies, but when you have a sequel, you sort of end up with that question of like, well, which one do you like better? You know, the the first movie, the second movie in the series like this. I think if I had to choose between which of the two I want to watch more, I probably lean towards the first movie. Um, because like, it's a little campier, but I like the performances of all the ancillary characters better. There was more, there was more there, there, there was like more character work going on with his dad, with all of that. This had moments of it. The confession, uh, I thought was a great one, but like this movie also just ignores the lifelong girlfriend he had, uh, that he did all this stuff for in the second movie and just. Nope, no mention. Her. Not not mentioned at all. Um and the first movie had, you know, his his buddy Donald Logue as his uh um his like manager and and pit crew. And there's something there's a charm to that first movie that I think this one was missing, but if you said, Hey, it's Saturday night, we got some people over, got some drinks, we're gonna throw in a dumb movie to watch. And it's Ghostwriter Spirit of Vengeance, all right, cool. We can you can laugh at some silliness and I'm fine with that. I think movies like this should exist. So I'm glad you got to finally see it. Uh, what do you think? How do you, how do you feel it is compared to that first ghostwriter that you did go and see in the theater? Uh, you know, I, I, to speak to the quality of the film, it's been so long since I've seen it. I, I couldn't honestly make a comparison. All, all I could um, do is, is, is bring forward, um, you know, my, my Maya Angelou here is like, I, I don't remember what the film said. I don't remember what the film did, but I remember how it made me feel. And man, I just hated Blackheart so much. <laughs> and I, I did not believe the villain at all. And in this one, um, I believed Blackout. He was just some scumbag um, that was, that was doing a job. And uh, uh, Karen Hines was, was chewed the scenery as uh, as Mephisto, even though they don't call him that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I honestly like this one more than the first one. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that. Um, and, and for me, it's, I'm talking like, on a, if I did a scale of 10, I'm like a half a point off between the two. It's like a, a six and a six and a half um, or a five and a half and a six is probably more accurate. Um, and it's, it's only because there's a couple of character things in the first movie that I like better, but yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm kind of glad I, I wouldn't mind seeing Johnny blaze show up, uh, in a, 
cameo or an extended cameo somewhere. Um, but I, I would like to see the character of Ghost Rider come back, but maybe some of the other iterations of him. Um, I did read, and this one threw me off, on the Wikipedia page for this movie, they list Danny as Danny Ketch. And, his, and he's not credited as that in the movie at all. Um, mm. They list his mom as Nadia. Danny. Yeah, they list his mom as Nadia Ketch. And I was like, that's someone stretching a little bit too far because that would be... That would bother me if they did that. If they had him be like, this is Danny Ketch, and then he becomes a Ghost Rider later, that would, mm, I wouldn't like that. But um, that would be very strange. I think, I think he works a lot better as just an ancillary character. Yeah. Um, who might uh, meet up with Ghost Rider down the line here or there, um, but, you know, off living his own life. I did like, um, the version of Ghost Rider they brought to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if you watched the show much. Um, well, I, I watched the first season. I, I didn't get much past that, but it was it was Robbie Reyes, huh? Yeah. Yep. And he had the car and uh, and, and I liked it. I thought it was a, a good iteration. Um, I'd like to see like I think Ghost Rider as a concept is an interesting character. Uh, oh, yeah. And the fact that it's a spirit that can inhabit different people gives you a lot of leeway in your adaptations as long as you don't um you know you don't stray too far and and cast blackheart better i think you 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 can do okay um well and it gives you a uh it gives you a leeway almost like um if you were to compare it to the 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 green lanterns yes that's a good one uh in dc is is it allows different people to express this spirit differently uh, and to have different aesthetics and different ways that they execute their powers. Yeah. Like it's all going to be centered around, you know, Zarathos and the flaming skull, but it's going to be different for everybody. Um, and mm-hmm. I do like, that's a good comparison. I didn't think about that, but green lantern is, is a great yeah. one. Um, well, now that I, now that you brought that up, do you have a favorite green lantern? Um, I, I don't know enough about them. Fair. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, John Stewart's the one I've seen the most. Um, but if I if I just look at a lineup of them, uh, man, uh, uh, Guy Gardner's got a fun little uh, outfit. Uh, he does with the with the, the the '90s sleeveless leather jacket and everything. It's very. Um, it's, and I hear they're they're bringing him around for the films uh, coming up. That was the one I heard was they were going to have Guy Gardner in there, and I think it was Nathan Fillion was supposed to play him. I'm not sure if that Nathan was... Fillion, I feel like is a really would be a really bad guy Gardner. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> think I'm ever unhappy to see Nathan Fillion. I think he would be a terrible guy Gardner. Uh, I, I don't think he's angry enough. I wouldn't believe him as angry. You know? <sighs> be interesting. Um, I think that's for Superman Legacy. Yeah, Ace is saying in the chat, Superman Legacy guy uh, as Guy Gardner. Um, ah, okay, okay. So we'll we'll see. Um, yeah, for me, I mean it. John Stewart is such an iconic, uh, iconic one. And I love those, uh, the DC animated universe stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. I grew up reading uh, a lot of Hal Jordan comics cause those were some that I'd, I'd seen and I like him. Um, but eh, I just want to see a good green lantern like yeah. live action. So, uh, but that's not the movie we're talking about. We, we watched ghost Rider, and it was a lot. Of, <laughs> this was a lot of we fun. Did. Um, I, I would recommend this to people. If you if you like silly action stuff, you could do worse. You could do a lot worse than this. 
like I say, it doesn't deserve the the low ratings that I see of it uh, in a lot of places. Like, is it a good movie, quote unquote? No, I wouldn't call it a good movie, but it's a fun movie. And uh, it's well, and I think if if you if you liked, I would tell somebody if you liked the Blade movies, and you're looking for like your your Midnight Suns Marvel Underworld. There you go. Uh, yeah. fix this will this will give you a little this will give you a little buzz yeah um so you work on uh, a couple things uh revolved around the botched podcast um are you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let let people know about that i know i had phil on a few weeks ago um who i love having on and and i love having you on here too um and i i caught you guys one night uh in your bromigos stream you guys mm-hmm. are playing golf with friends but uh what's going on with botched lately uh we uh i am a member of botch podcast we are a uh, comedy improv podcast loosely draped in the skins of DD fifth edition uh we just wrapped up recording uh, our our seventh season uh which is a uh, fan- fantasy western season uh it's a lot of fun and we will be at dragon con um starting uh next week uh our live show is uh two weeks from today uh, in the Hilton, and we will be premiering our eighth season there, uh, where we are uh, going to be venturing into the SCP universe. Oh boy! Uh, which, if you're not familiar with SCP, is a uh, is a the one of the largest online collaborative fiction uh, uh, projects on the internet. It is a it is a science fiction horror. Um, uh, universe about a secret organization that protects the world from anomalous objects people and uh, all manner of supernatural things so it and we're going to be just just real stupid about it uh, as we always are perfect i can't wait i can't wait to hear those that'll be a lot of fun and i really wish i was going to be at dragon con to catch the live show um but uh if you are going to dragon con we'll, catch, we'll miss you catch it because uh botched is great you got you had me on for uh a little one shot where we uh we dealt with garfield and friends uh mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. which was delightfully <laughs> uh terrifying it was it was some nightmare fuel imagery in there um <laughs> credit to dennis for that uh but you guys are a ton of fun and this has been a lot of fun so definitely check out botched um they're great and uh and and thank you so much steve for being here this week Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I, I always enjoy it. Yeah. Um, now I do this show live on Sunday nights, uh, 8 PM Eastern time here at uh, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Uh, so if you want to hang out in the chat room and watch the show be made live and see things like, um, when Steve's computer crashed in the middle of the, the episode, uh, you can do that. <laughs> if not, um, you can always catch it as a podcast uh, out on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. There is a video version that hits YouTube. Um, and I'm working on growing that channel. So if you want to go over to youtube.com forward slash at TV's Travis, you can see uh, the video version of that after the fact. Um, and you can also go to tvstravis.com. There is links there for the Patreon for this show for as little as a dollar an episode. Uh, I have some merchandise links there that I'm slowly working on getting new designs for. Um, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And uh, patrons get monthly movie nights as well, which uh, I've got one come up here pretty soon where I go through the back catalog and we watch uh, a movie that I've covered for the show before. With 230 episodes, there's a lot of movies to cover. So uh, definitely check all that out. Now, next week, we finish off 
Cagepalooza, I found somebody who has never seen The Rock. And when he told me you that, found, you found the guy. I did. I did. I found the guy. You found the one person. And uh, it's my it's a good friend Alex Albisu. He said I've never seen that, and I'm like, that's the perfect way to end Cagepalooza is The Rock. It's it's one of my favorite Nick Cage movies. It's got Sean Connery. It's peak Michael Bay. It's got everything you want. So we're watching that next week. You're going to want to uh, come back and check that one out for sure. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So that is next week. But until then, Steve, thank you so much again. Um, we'll get you back here sometime yeah. soon. Absolutely. Can't wait. All right. And until next time, just remember to enjoy your movies, whatever they may be. And uh, let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>